It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's episode, Liz and I talk with Ron Deal, who's a huge deal when it comes to remarriage and step family relationships. Ron shares some helpful insights from his book, The Smart Step Family Remarriage, including what separates happy remarriages from unhappy remarriages, as well as some tips and tools to help couples navigate the unique challenges found in step families. Ron Deal is one of the most widely read and viewed experts on blended families in the country. He's the director of Family Life Blended for Family Life, founder of Smart Step Families, and the author and consulting editor of the Smart Step Family series of books, including the best-selling Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages, and Becoming Step Family Smart with Dr. Gary Chapman. Ron is a licensed marriage and family therapist, popular conference speaker, and host of the Family Life Blended podcast. He and his wife, Nan, have three sons and live in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Stronger Marriage Connection, my friends. I'm Dr. Dave here at Utah State University and alongside Dr. Liz Hale, our licensed clinical psychologist. We are bringing you the best tips and tools, uh, some research and resources to help you have the marriage of your dream here on the Stronger Marriage Connection. Okay, today we are talking all things step families and remarriage and some of the unique challenges couples experience in step families, as well as some tips for success. And we're so very fortunate to have with us what I consider one of the all-time gurus when it comes to remarriage and becoming a smart step family. He is a national expert in this area. He's a best-selling author. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a podcaster, incredible conference speaker. Joining us today on today's episode of the Stronger Marriage Connection is the one and only Ron Deal. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Dave, that was quite a quite an introduction. I, I feel a lot of pressure right now, but thank you for that. It's so good to be with you. <laughs> oh, I could have gone on and on, Ron. We're, we're just so fortunate to have you. We sure appreciate you taking time to join us today. I love how Dave says you are the real deal, Ron Deal. So what a pleasure. <laughs> he is. You know, I've deal. never heard that before. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> before we jump in with questions about creating a smart step family, can you help us understand how common step families and step relations mm -hmm. are today, especially here in the U.S.? What are the stats, please, Ron? Yeah, yeah, very common. Uh, it depends on how you cut the pie, but uh, here's a few snapshots. If you look at individuals, just people. You know, women, men, children, 35% uh, of every man, woman, and child in the United States has a step relationship. That's pretty stunning when you hear that, 35%. So that that could be they have a step parent. It could be they have a step sibling. It could be that they have a step child. 35% can reach out and touch it. Now, notice, Liz, that does not include grandparents who are step grandparents. That does not include an uncle or an aunt who has a brother or sister who's now a stepdad, you know. Um, so if you begin to expand it that way, it would encompass a lot of people. It's 113 million with a step relationship. We, we estimate another 100 million Americans 
can reach out and touch it very close to them. So that's a lot of people uh, in a, in a, you know, very quickly. And here's another snapshot. 40% of parents who are raising kids. So you think about a mom, dad living at home, raising children, 40% of them have a stepchild connected to their household. That child may live most of the time in the other household, but they spend part of their time in this household. 40% of households can reach out and connect to that. Now, here's one more stat I'll throw at you. A lot of people don't think about. Uh, most people just sort of assume the narrative of a blended family and is about death, death of a parent or divorce a couple, and then somebody else recouples a little bit later. And most of the time that's true. But Today in America, we have a new phenomenon, and that's first-time married couples. Both partners are getting married for the very first time. Full 15%, 1-5% of those are forming blended families because somebody had a child that preceded their very first marriage. And if one of those two people is at least 30. Now, think about this for a minute. A lot of people think, well, that's old, isn't it, to get married for the first time? Well, not anymore, right? You guys know as well as I that. Average age for men is 29, for women, what, 27, somewhere in right in there. It's creeping up. If one of them is 30, then the rate jumps to 24% of first-time married couples are forming blended families. This is a very common experience within uh, North America and around the world. Whoa, that's wow. a lot of people. I'm one of those step aunts. My sister, my only sister, right, married a man with a child. He's just become just a treasure in my life, right? He was seven, I think. Now mm -hmm. he's 30-something. And what a delight. Anyway, th yes. thank you for that picture. That's fascinating. Yeah, that really does. That, that sets the stage. Really thinking, wow, a lot of people can relate to our topic today, Ron. As a family scholar, I'm not sure if you knew, I did my dissertation actually on, on step families, Ron. So, so some of the research... Actually, I followed your work a little bit, so I did know that. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, published with uh, yeah, Marilyn Coleman and uh, Larry Ganong. Yeah, some of those, those great researchers in this, in this area. And so I really want to help set the stage a little bit for our listeners and understanding that that you and David Olson, who's, again, a guru in his, his own right, have done some incredible research on remarriages and step families. Some of the largest studies, my friends, ever conducted has been done by, by Ron and Dave and, and colleagues. So can you share with us a few of the highlights that informed your book, which we'll, we'll talk about, The Smart Step Family mm -hmm. Marriage, Keys to Success in Blended Family? What did you discover in some of the research? You know, when you work with David Olson, he doesn't do anything small. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's a very large survey. Our data set was well over 100,000 people, 50,000 couple profiles where we looked at his and hers and then compared them to try to get a sense of what predicted health among couples in blended families specifically and what predicted distress and difficulty. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are similar between a blended family marriage and a first family marriage. And there's some things that you would expect would rise to the top of that list. Being able to communicate well, being able to resolve conflict well, uh, managing money. Those are some things that are familiar to us when we talk about healthy marriage. But when it came to the blended family couples, it's the things that are unique that we felt like we really wanted to talk about and help people understand. Because if they don't get those things right, um, then the difficulties just, you know, exacerbate. So, for example, all couples have conflict. First married couples, you know, you hear they fight about money, which is not necessarily about money. It's also about power and about who makes decisions and who doesn't. And, you know, those things are that's true. Well, blended family couples tend to argue about children, parenting, 
issues related to kids moving back and forth between homes. Sometimes it's an argument that's sparked by a former spouse who makes a phone call or you hear um, through the grapevine or through the children that the way they're parenting over there is not something you feel comfortable with. And so now you have to deal with that. But then you as a parent and step parent don't necessarily agree about how to handle the situation. And so while it still adds up to conflict, what is sparking the conflict is specific to that step family journey. Former spouses, children, parents, step parent. How do we parent together? We don't necessarily see eye to eye. And and so it's conflict, but now it's conflict that divides you and me. It goes like this. Here's a quick little story. Step parent comes to the biological parent and says, I need you to help me get your daughter out of bed in the morning. We're all late with our day because she's late. And so we're late getting in the car and getting to school and work and whatever. And so I've been trying to help her get up in the morning, but it's not working. I need your help with that. And the biological parent says, okay, well, you know, maybe that's a problem, but are you telling me I haven't been parenting my daughter very well? And so wait a minute, what, what, look what just happened. We went from you and I don't, uh, that there's a simple little thing about helping this child get out of bed. It seems to be a parenting, but quickly it becomes about the marriage. And now it's about you versus us, the bio parent and their child versus the step parent. And now you have this thing we call insiders and outsiders where people sort of get on one side and push the step parent or the step siblings to the outside and keep them there. Well, we got married, so we would be a family unit. Now it feels like we're failing at becoming a family unit. And it's all sort of wrapped and intertwined into all of these specific things tied to being a blended family. That's what we need to try to help people unravel so it doesn't unravel them. Mm. Well said. Mm. Wow. Like you said, yeah. all couples, we all have struggles, right? And But mm-hmm. remarriages and step families have some unique struggles and challenges. What are some of them? And maybe even what's the top problem as you see it for step family couples, Ron? Yeah. So I would just say bluntly what we just talked about. The top yeah. issue is... Um, the complexities of being a blended family, trying to navigate that space and that journey, and that then rolling over into conflict as it relates specifically to the marriage. I mean, that it, that is just a common narrative that catches people off guard. Now, there's a couple other things that I'll add to this. One of the other things that we found in our research was um, we called it the fear factor. It's just sort of this sense that, oh, no, it feels like another relationship is falling apart for me. So let's just back up what's behind that. If you think about somebody who's walked through a divorce, their first marriage ended in divorce, that is an extremely painful experience. Even if you were the one who sort of initiated it, it doesn't mean that you wanted it to end that way. There is always pain wrapped up into that. And that sort of puts a little residue on your heart that says, be careful. Uh, It creates a guardedness in most of us. We're just, we don't want to go through that again, right? And so people are a little slow to date again sometimes, or if they, and as they begin to fall in love, the closer they get to connection, the more they sort of hold themselves back just a little bit. And there it is. That's the seed that says, um, be careful. Don't give too much of yourself or you might get hurt again. So that based on a previous breakdown of a relationship leaves a residue that says, guard yourself, which also means I don't tell you quite everything going in in my heart. I don't always trust what you tell me about my child. I don't always, even though we agree on a parenting, okay, we need to handle this situation this way, but then I don't follow through because it feels like 
I'm putting myself into a really trusted position with you, but what if you're not trustworthy? And so I'm always sort of second guessing how much of myself to give to this marriage and to the family. Well, you can see where that just spins in a, it cascades negativity in a thousand little moments where you're, you're there, but you're not there. You're giving, but not fully. You're sacrificing, but you're being careful about what you'll do. And it also seeds in one other little thing that we found. It's a tendency to see negativity in the other person, what they're doing, what their motives are. You know, you're telling me my kid doesn't get up in the morning. I think you don't like my kid, you know. So now you're seeing something there that maybe isn't there, or maybe it's a two on a 10 scale, but you just made it a a 10. That's something you've got to try to, um, that's something you've got to try to change. Otherwise, you're never really going to get past that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, Ron, I love, so we're sitting out some of the, these, these struggles and I, I can see listeners being like, yes, yes. Yeah. This is the struggle. This is it. This is what I'm going through. What are some tips? What, what do you offer to listeners right now? Or like you just nailed it, Ron. Yeah. What are some tips and tools to help those in the trenches and where should couples uh, start? Um, first of all, let me just acknowledge my camera went off and sorry about that. Uh, but we'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things you, everybody has to do is they have to um, put on some self-control for all of these negative emotions. Now, that sounds really simple, but you, got, you, you two both know that is really difficult when you're in a situation mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you're sort of afraid to be hurt again. That's about yeah. you or you're afraid your child's going to be hurt again. That's about them. And you feel like you need to guard and protect. Um, and so when those emotions hit, you tend to get reactive. And that negative reactivity spurns more reactivity out of somebody else. And it started off as a parenting question about getting somebody out of bed in the morning. But very quickly, it turns into, I don't trust you and you don't like me. Uh, Those are things. So putting on self-control in that. So you don't get easily, we sell biological parents, don't get easily defensive about parenting your uh, issues around your your child. Try to hear what the step-parent has to say. It does not mean that they're right about everything. It just means they may have a point of view that you you need to consider. Likewise, on the flip side of that is we want to help step parents understand the best way for them to walk into a child's life and world. And part of that involves um, navigating that space gently. One of the things we teach is pacing with the stepchild. Pace means meet them where they are. Now, if you If I gave you guys an assignment and said, you got a new neighbor, they just moved in, I want you to go make friends with them. Be nice, welcome them to the community and uh, become friends, you know? What would you not do? Well, what you would not do is go bang on their door and yell and scream at them and say, I'm your new best friend, let me in. That would not work. Well, likewise, step-parents sometimes are so eager (laughs) to win the heart of a stepchild that they go and bang on the door of their heart and expect you to let me in, you expect me to call, call me dad all of a sudden, expect this child to just sort of drop all their guard and, and totally, you know, welcome you in every way. Well, no, that's a journey, whether we're talking a neighbor down the street or whether it's a child, you've got to meet them where they are. Then and only then might they allow you into their life and into their world. All of that adds up to time. And Dave, Liz, you know, it's a hard thing. People don't want to give 
years to this journey. But on average, it often takes a few years for a blended family to really kind of merge the relationships and come together over time. But if you get really impatient with that, then you're going to find that it just works against you. I made a major mistake, Ron and Dave, I told you about my step-nephew. I don't call him step-nephew, but just to give you a reference, right? He was seven when my sister married and they were out of state. So I really hadn't had a chance to meet this young man. And um, when I did, I just said, I'm just so happy to meet you. And um, gave him a little side love and just say, you know, it's just such a pleasure to, to be family soon. And, and, um, he just said to me, cause I've waited a long time to have nieces and nephews, right? My sister and I were very late bloomers. Um, and it took a while. So he said to me, which I thought was profound. He goes, all, all I, all I need and want is my dad. And then he walked mm. out of the room. Yeah. Wow. So he really nailed it. And I was way too assertive and hopeful and thought this was so promising and it did build, but it, it did take some time. And I just have a very tender relationship with him today. But you're right. It, it takes months, years. Indeed. We'll be right back after this brief message. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Uh, Ron, what do you think is it then that separates, I mean, unhappy remarriages from, from happy remarriages? Are, are they doing things different? Are they saying things different? The, the dynamics different? What did you find from the, the research in your practice? Yeah. I mean, we can, we got some bullet points that it just really is pretty evident. Um, unhappy couples in blended families are three to four times more likely to be moody, critical, or negative. <laughs> They're eight times more likely to put their partner down, to, to, to offer a criticism on their behalf. They're seven times more likely to be controlling. They're four times more likely to be withdrawn from the relationship. They're four times more likely to have a temper. They're three times more likely to be stubborn. And here's another one that is sort of unique. Uh, well, there's a unique expression of it within a blended family, they're five times more likely to be jealous. N now, if I'm jealous of you looking at your phone all day instead of talking to me, well, that's, that, by the way, that's called fubbing. That's a new term that we're all going to have to start using because you're, you're, you're snubbing your partner on behalf of the phone instead of for them. Well, yeah, that sort of makes me a little jealous of what you're giving your attention to. Everyone would, of course, say if your partner is, um, spending time and energy with another person, you know, uh, a friend or a coworker or someone of the opposite sex, that is threatening to the relationship. That's where jealousy comes in. In blended families, the jealousy can come from, I see the way you cater to your child and it makes me feel like you really cherish them more than you cherish me, the step parent. It could come in the form of, and I've worked with a lot of couples where it's, you, you, you know, I don't understand why you're so flexible with your former spouse. Every time he or she calls, you bend, you say, all right, we'll do it this way instead of, you know, the way we had it planned. And oh, all of a sudden, our household has to adjust to the accommodations you're making to that household. And now the jealousy is about 
you seem to give in to your ex in ways that you will not negotiate with me. So see, that's unique. That is unique to the blended experience. It has to do with the old relationships. It has to do with insecurity in the new relationships. And, you know, again, but it sets off this fear, the fear factor, that all of a sudden our relationship is not as strong as I wish it were. Guys, we found that presence of fear, that this relationship isn't strong, that something else gets in the way of us, a child or a former spouse, the fear that I'm going to go through another bad relationship, that predicted with 93% accuracy all by itself, whether couples and blended families had a healthy relationship or a really poor one, 93% accuracy. In other words, that's something you have to manage within yourself and not let it get the best of you or it can do just that. It can really cause harm to your marriage. And that thing we have to manage, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't want to miss it. The thing we have to manage is the envy, the just the self-mastery. Mm. Yes. The fear, like, is it just like pause it's, and just be aware of it, capture it and be like, oh, I've got to change Well, this. there's a whole process that we could talk about. But I'll just summarize it in just, you know, um, self-regulation really comes down to, wow, what is going on inside me? There we go. I'm yeah. feeling a little threatened right now. What is that about? And you have to, at that point, what we call chase the pain in order to understand what is going on with you and why, so that you won't be given into it. When we react to one another in any relationship out of pain, yeah. it's probably going to be negative and just bring more negativity to the relationship. So the question might be, wow, every time you sort of Tell me about a phone call with your ex. <laughs> Something goes off inside me. What is that trigger about? What is that telling me? Oh, it's making me think they're more important to you than I am. And why do I feel unimportant? You know, I, my last marriage ended. I definitely was not important. You know what? This makes me feel like I'm going down that same road. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, I'm now acting as if we are going down that it. road. <laughs> and that's where you got to change. That's where mm -hmm. you go. All right. I got to slow this down. Mm -hmm. I got to take a deep breath. I got to tell myself, maybe, maybe not. Let's see if I can, let's talk through this calmly. Let me engage. Let me hear. Let me listen with open ears rather than a prejudgment about what you're going to tell me and what it means. That whole little process right there, that takes a lot of emotional and mental energy. Yep. And if you can pull it off, then you don't let the past in, invade your present. Self-regulation, that is the key. I love that. You know, I think it's not unusual that when couples marry, and my husband and I, we married late in life, but we don't have children, that um, some partners sometimes feel duped. I, I, my husband probably felt a little duped on some things with me. Mm. Um, but you say that, especially with newly married step-parents, it's fairly common. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, it turns out dating is not very predictive <laughs> of what real life is going to be. That's mm -hmm. You guys know that's true for all couples, right? Yeah. Even without a complex uh, right. family narrative yep. where they have multiple households and former spouses and, you know, former mother-in-laws as well as a new mother-in-law and everything that goes with a blended family complexity. Uh, dating's not predictive, but here's where it really takes a shift. So just for example, um, a guy's dating a woman, she's got a couple of kids and, and uh, they sort of like him. They kind of take to him. And, and while he's dating their mother, they're appreciative of how he treats mom. She seems to come home happy that, you know, sounds great to us. And whenever he's around her kids, he just instinctively knows he's not married to her, their mom yet. He instinctively knows I need to be careful and cautious and I don't need to push myself on them. And so he doesn't. 
And then what happens when they get married, they move into the house together, and within a week, he's telling his stepchildren to pick up their socks. That has never entered their relationship before. They've never crossed that threshold. They, the kids are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're supposed to be the fun guy. <laughs> you make mom happy. You're not supposed to tell me what to do. And we have a whole new dynamic that did not exist prior to the wedding. So that's why people sometimes feel duped. They feel like, wait a minute, I thought I was getting one thing. And it turns out this complexity, this family journey is a whole lot more difficult than I realized. And so I didn't see it coming. And what I say to people is, you know, nobody duped you. Nobody intentionally, um, you know, hid stuff from you. Hey, the person you married is just as duped by all of this as you were. So what are you going to do about it? That's the question. Can we just now turn the corner and say, all right, let's get smart about these step family things going on and let's figure out how to be a couple in the midst of the family. Man. Yeah. And easier said than done, right? This patient or this progress takes patience and time and understanding mm -hmm. and love and kindness and all, all of this, like an extra, like a double dose um, of all of that. Uh, Ron, you've written some uh, incredibly helpful books on the topic of remarriage and step families over the years. Uh, why did you write the smart step family marriage keys to success in, in blended families? What was the focus? Well, you know, we actually have a whole series of books called the smart step family series, uh, nine books in the series. And there are, um, you know, we have six video series that couples can watch at home and, you know, uh, with other groups of couples, all kinds of resources in the midst of kind of creating that or orchestrating all of that, I realized that it's the couple's relationship that has to bear the weight of the family journey mm -hmm. to becoming a family. In, in other words, the whole parent, step-parent questions and solutions, the, the how long does it take to bond with a stepchild questions, the, the, the other home is adding some complexity to our life. They parent totally different than how we parent it kind of unravels everything we're trying to teach and tell or train our kids. And all of that ultimately comes back to the couple's relationship. And if they can't bear the weight of that, they can't be a team, support each other, but then wrestle with all the stuff. They will not have a close, intimate relationship. They, they, they will struggle. And if they come apart, the family comes apart. I, I, I wrote another book with, um, Dr. Gary Chapman, where we essentially tried to apply his love language principles to blended families in it. It applies, but it applies uniquely in, in many ways. And one of the things we said in there is your marriage is the first and last motivator of your fam for your family to become a family. It's the first motivator because if you didn't fall in love, yeah. they, they wouldn't be living in the same house. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's an obvious one, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. the, the, but yeah. it's the last motivator because even in the worst case scenario, if you have one child out of the bunch mm -hmm. who just says, you know, you know, my stepdad's fine, but I don't need him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I just don't need a close relationship. Or you know what? To be honest, mom, I could do without this whole thing. In a situation like that, that child's motivation to to even give it a chance comes down to what he sees in mom's marriage. His investment is in mom, my, in my biological parent. If mom is unhappy with her new husband, why in the world would I give him a break? Why mm -hmm. in the world would I be motivated to, to have him around? If mom's not happy with him, I'm not. I don't, yeah. I don't care. I don't need that relationship. But if mom is saying to me, son, I love you and I love my husband and 
he and I are till death do us part. Then I'll, then this young man's got to wake up to some reality that this is his life. And he now either has a choice to jump on board and try to be a part of it or to just be against it the entire time. Yeah. Marriage is the first and last motivator for a successful blended family. I knew we had to write a book just for couples mm. so they could go the distance. Mm-hmm. Oh, good go. So is there a love language for step families then? Well, you know, the, I, I think the five love languages all still apply. But here's what's unique and different, Liz. It, it's sort of back to our little analogy. We we're talking about making a new friend um, down the street. You can't just bang on their door, run into their house and bear hug them. You know, <laughs> your new neighbor doesn't know you at all. Like that's going to get the police on the scene. That's not helping you make a new friend. So likewise, think about this for just a second. It immediately makes sense. You're a step parent. You just learned your 14-year-old stepdaughter, your stepmom, your 14-year-old stepdaughter's love language is physical touch. Dad hugs her all the time. She hugs dad. She hugs her brother. She hugs grandma. She hugs grandpa, aunts and uncles. The first time you try to give her a big old bear hug, she bristles and pulls away. What just happened? Well, love language assumes that the recipient actually wants you to love them that way. But what if they don't? What if they just don't know you or trust you enough yet? And see, that's the key word, yet. We tell step parents, you can eventually get, with most children, into that sort of connectedness with your stepchildren. But on day one, you can't start with bear hugs. Everybody else can, but you have to stand back and settle for a fist bump. That's as good as it's going to get for you with that child. But trust, trust, and keep going. Because over time, that fist bump can become a side hug, can become a bear hug. We just don't know how long or when. So don't give up. Keep pacing with the child. And as they open up to you, then you can move closer into their heart. That's great. Mm-hmm. So allowing the child to dictate that pace is what you're saying. That's what it is. It's hard. That's what it comes yeah, down to. Okay. And that's hard for step parents who are who are going, but I care and and I got good stuff. And you know, if this kid would just give me a chance, or, and sometimes I hear I'm paying for everything, and I'm doing, I'm washing the underwear and making dinner, and I get a fist bump. Right, that is a hard journey to experience. And so again. For people to hear, that's that's the journey. That's normal. And this is how you're going to conquer this uh, struggle is you're going to do it bit by bit, not all at once. I was going to ask you just real quick, Ron, what your advice was for someone going into before they get married. Maybe they're dating and I have a friend actually who is dating a man with six kids and she's never married before. Do mm-hmm. you have advice for someone in that situation? It's probably similarly to what you just said. It is. Um, actually, we got a whole book on that, too. Dating and the single parent is all about the dating phase and how you do that well, how you navigate that with their kids, with your kids. I will just add um, our most recent book is called Preparing to Blend. So it's the book for engaged couples. All right. You've already made that decision. Now you got a wedding you're planning. And in the next six months before the wedding, how do you actually help you and the kids get ready for real life after the wedding? So real quick tip for a dating person. Um, if you have children, engage your kids in what if conversation. It's a simple little strategy, but it moves your heart a little closer to theirs every step along the way. What if mom started dating again? 
you know, this guy, he's got kids of his own. What? How would you feel about it if I were to date him? How would you feel if someday I were to marry him? You know, we've been dating a while. I'm kind of wanting to be exclusive with him. How would you feel about me doing? So every little phase of the dating process is coupled with a dialogue between mom and her children so that she's checking in with them. They feel like they have a voice. This is not just another thing running over the top of them. Life's again throwing me under the bus. No, this is an opportunity for you to kind of be a part of this. It helps parents make better decisions about when and where to introduce their kids to the dating partner or how much time do they need to spend together. All of that just goes into the hopper. And then as you take one step at a time, your kids are coming with you. The biggest mistake dating parents make is to run off into a new love relationship and they've sort of left their children back at home, so to speak, as if their opinion didn't matter. Now, they don't get to decide who you date, how long, whether or not you marry somebody. That's your call. But foolish is the parent who doesn't even ask, who doesn't even want to know what's going on with their children. That sends the very wrong message to their kids. You are unimportant. We don't want that. And now the kids have to compete with the dating person. That's just a setup for the blended family to have competition from day one. So we're going to try to avoid that as much as we can. Good thoughts. Thank you. As you know, we like to ask each of our guests here on Stronger Marriage Connection, what do you think makes the Stronger Marriage Connection? What's the key element to you, Ron? Well, we talked a little bit earlier about self-control in the midst of, um, especially when you get emotionally triggered. I'm just going to add one other word to that process. And it, I have discovered, is my lifelong journey. And my wife and I do quite a bit of teaching around this, and we're working on a new project related to it. And I'm telling you what, the word humility means different things to different people. But without humility, you cannot become a mature lover, partner, friend, companion, or parent. And let me explain. Humility is that thing that says, I'm willing to look in the mirror and deal with me. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, But when the chips are down, when I feel a little distressed, when I feel like there's some angst in our relationship, whether I'm talking a child or you as my spouse, the tendency of all of us is to focus in on who the other person is, what they're doing. And in in that moment, I would say we've become prideful. It's as if we're saying, oh, I'm fine, but you, honey, are the one who needs to change some things. And so let me help you with you. And we now have gone into a a posture that says, uh, I'm okay, but you're not. That is the opposite of humility. Humility says, I wonder if there's a part of this that's about me. I wonder if this little dance we're doing right now, there's something I need to own. There's something I need to examine in myself. Why do I get triggered when you do that little thing with your arms and you turn your back? What, what is going on? And, and is there a better way for me to handle that feeling and that moment than I have in the past. That's what humility moves us toward. And those are the people, guys, who can make changes over time that will deepen trust and intimacy in their relationship. Prideful people make no changes because I'm not the problem, you are. And that always ends in a dead end. It's two people blaming the other and no one and nothing changes. The dance stays the same. So humility is that Hmm. Wow. Let me slow down. Let me take care of me. And I'll do that first. Then maybe, 
maybe I might have something to offer you, but I'm always going to deal with me before dealing with you. I think that is a game changer. Nan and I have been married 37 years. We are only just starting to figure out life. I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me we're just babies in this marriage process. <laughs> and humility is is hit me day in and day out. Like, wait a minute, Ron, you got to slow down and deal with yourself. And I, I think that is a game changer, no matter what kind of situation you're in. And where can our listeners go for more of your great information, Ron, your books and even your podcasts? Where do we go, please? Well, smartstepfamilies.com is probably the single best website that will get you tied into all the things that I'm involved in. Uh, work with a ministry called Family Life, uh, do some uh, live stream things for another organization called the Step Family Network. So you can learn about all of that stuff at smartstepfamilies.com. Perfect. We got it. Hmm. Yeah, Ron, and, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I, listeners, I hope you're listening because when people ask me, and they ask me all the time, Ron, you know, can you recommend a, a book on step families? I point them in your direction every single mm. time. So, so appreciate what you're doing for step families. Well, I appreciate that very much. Well, before we wrap up, um, Ron, we'd like to ask our guests what their, their takeaway, and it may be some of, of what you've, you've just talked about. If, you, if there's one message you want our listeners to remember and take away from, from what we've talked about on remarriage, step families, some of the challenges and tips, what would that be? It would be this. Um, the journey of being a blended family may not be what you expected or hoped, but it is not without promise. One of the things we tell people all the time is um, it takes longer to get there than you anticipated, but you can get there. You know, I always tell people there is a honeymoon for remarried blended family couples. It just comes at the end of the journey and not at the beginning. And, and the trick <laughs> is the, the trick is persisting and being patient and not giving up and continuing forward, working on self and relationships and chipping away at forming this family unit that where people do feel loved and cared for and trusting toward one another. That's where the promised land is. That's where you get out of Egypt. You've gone through the wilderness and you experience something that is really good. But without persistence, without patience, more couples than not quit on the journey and they just never get to the good stuff. They go back to Egypt, if you will. And I've often thought, you know, what a shame. I, they just didn't know what they were about to discover. So keep that in mind on the hard days. Hold on to that on the good days where things are still not quite as you wish they were. Keep pressing forward, trusting that the process will work for you over time. And there's promised land payoffs to be had. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Wow, Ron. Uh, Liz, what's your takeaway of the day today? I, I think that's so beautiful about the persistence. With the persistence can come the promise. And that probably is for original families as well, mm -hmm. right? Yes, Ron? absolutely. Well, what we often say in marriage therapy is couples who are on the verge of divorce. It's just like, oh boy, let me just try to express that. It won't be, you know, wherever we go, there we are. So you can leave this marriage and go over to this other marriage. And you're going to probably face the same darn things you faced in this original marriage. Because as we say, and maybe we say this too often, Ron, that you know, step families have an even higher divorce rate because of yeah, the difficulties. That's right. So it takes even that much more TLC, right? That much more insight and maturity. Yep. That's well said. Love Very well message. said. 
And Dave, your takeaway from our time with Ron Deal? Yeah, I've learned so much, uh, Ron, in this, this space. I could keep listening for hours and hours. I, I think one of the things, um, maybe a new insight today that, that really stood out to me is when you talked about how the, the struggle maybe with a child um, slips into and then it becomes a struggle for the couple relationship and just how common that, that could be with the feelings mm-hmm. and the relationship and, hey, this is you know my child or this or that. And letting any of these little struggles then all of a sudden come between um, the couple relationship. And, and you mentioned putting that. It's so important to prioritize that. Um, man, that is, that is, that's just critical. I think really key. Uh, and that's what stood out to me today. Thanks. Well, Ron, uh, again, this has been uh, so helpful. Thank you so much for your time, for the many resources. We'll be sure to put... Um, all the resources we have talked about in our show notes today and to our listeners, I hope this has really been helpful. I hope that you'll recommend it and share it with others who are in step families and relationships, remarriages, because, uh, there are a lot of great, great information in here and some excellent resources that Ron has. He's one of the most genuine, humble (laughs) people. I I think I've, I've ever met just been able to to, to chat with him here today. And that really, really comes through your, your character of, of who you are, Ron. So Thank you so much again for joining us and to our listeners. We'll see you next time. It's been an honor, Ron. Thank you. And remember, everyone, it's the small things that create a stronger marriage connection. Take care now. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore and what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at StrongerMarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcock and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.